Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you so much for joining us on BC Podcast. Here's a message to encourage your heart this week. Good morning, Bible Center. I'm the other John King from Princeton, West Virginia. First John down here, second John up here. I'm sure there's a third John and a Jude around here somewhere. What an amazing history Bible Center has had. Amazing to see that. I'm sure if you're like me, you'd want to watch that over and over again and just soak in every detail, every picture, every word. I want to take just a couple of minutes before we start into the message today to give some personal reflection on the history of Bible Center as far as what it means to other churches in the state and in our region of the country. That's an aspect of the history of this church that may not be quite as apparent to you as it would be to those of us who have served in other churches. My first exposure to Bible Center was in August of 1990. I had just arrived in Princeton to become the senior pastor at Johnston Chapel Baptist Church. In fact, preacher Jimmy, as we affectionately called him, Jimmy Jones, and I were going to be working through six six months of a transition time. And so uh, it was August of 1990 that uh, Bob Spradling, if I recall correctly, had come home from a trip and was sick could not speak on a Sunday and called and asked if I could come up and speak uh, at Bible Center. That was my first introduction to Bible Center and my first introduction to Bob Spradling, which began a friendship with him that still exists. Um, About two or three years after that, when Bob retired, he called me and said, my associate George Darlington and I are thinking about going into a church consulting ministry And uh, we would like to come down to Princeton and let Johnson Chapel be our guinea pig. We kind of want to see how this works, want to see if this is really what we want to do. We won't charge you anything. Uh, If you get anything out of it, that'll just be the icing on the cake. And so they came to Princeton and they did a thorough evaluation of our church, uh, you know, explored a lot of different areas of our ministry and made three recommendations to us uh, that we hire another pastor. At that time, we were kind of the the typical model of uh, most churches our size. You had uh, one senior pastor and then a youth and music guy. And uh, so they they said, you need to hire a third pastor and you need to go to a second service on Sunday morning and you need more education space. So you need to do a building project. Within three years, we had accomplished all three of those strategic initiatives and all three of them became growth engines for us at Johnston Chapel. The church would eventually about double in size, and it wasn't long before there was a new guy here, Sean Thornton. And I remember coming up one Sunday or one uh, weekday and having lunch with Sean Thornton and Lee Walker and talking about how to begin a contemporary service. And we learned a lot from Bible Center's early days of that and began a contemporary service at Johnston Chapel as well. One of the best things Sean Thornton ever did here at Bible Center was to bring Lee Walker on staff. Lee and I had been friends since the early 90s when he was at Appalachian Bible College and I was on the board there. And uh, anything we did at Johnston Chapel by way of any kind of strategic initiative or administrative type of uh, effort, I would always call Lee. And I would pick his brain and I would say, how do you all do this at Bible Center? I mean, whether it was a staffing issue or security teams 
or building project or whatever it was, I just knew Lee would have the answers or at least give some guidance or Bible Center had already done this and could be a model for us. And you have, you have been a model to Johnston Chapel for many years. The whole 26 and a half years I was there, uh, you were a model to us and a resource for us. And I don't think we are alone. You could probably uh, find dozens, maybe scores of churches in West Virginia or this region of the country that have been impacted significantly by the ministry of Bible Center. And so that's a part of the history that may not be known to you and may not be as apparent as what you saw in the building of, of the church here, but the impact of Bible Center way beyond Charleston has been incredible. So thank you. On your 80th birthday, thank you. And I speak for many churches that have been impacted by Bible Center Church. Well, in the last few weeks, Pastor Mike and Pastor John and Pastor Caleb have done a phenomenal job of diving deep into Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 12, which talks about the equipping of the church. I've been asked to kind of wrap up the series, put a bow on it, and focus on how those spiritual gifts and spiritual passions and the equipping of the saints for the works of, work of ministry is designed to build the body. So we're going to talk today about building the body. If you've ever built a house or had one built for you, you know how difficult and how long and how complex that process can be. You also know how many different people are needed in that building project. You may start with, uh, with an architect, uh, and then you'll hire a general contractor, and he'll typically have a bunch of carpenters and general laborers that will work with him to do most of the building, but then there'll be subcontractors, people that, that will do specialty type things. There will be masons and electricians and plumbers and drywallers and painters, and you can go on down the list. That's an amazingly complex and long process with lots of people involved. Every one of those people and every group that comes to work on that house is significant in their own specialty. They are important in the building of that house. At whatever specialty they may have, they are needed. You wouldn't want a, a mason running the electrical wiring for your house. And you probably would not want a plumber doing the framing. So each one is important in his or her own unique skill set, and all of them are needed to build that house. I think you can see where I'm going with this. The Bible often uses building as a metaphor, a word picture for the church. We're going to look at several verses just very quickly on the screen that show you Matthew 16, 18, for instance, where Jesus made this promise, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Notice the building idea, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Paul uses that same building idea in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, in verse 9, where he says, for we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field. Notice God's building. And then he talks about everybody that builds on the foundation of Jesus Christ needs to be careful how they build. He really fleshes out this building metaphor in Ephesians chapter 2, where he says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, 
but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, notice, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Peter gets in on the action in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, where Peter says, you also like living stones. Notice that mixed metaphor, stones, but living stones, part of the body of Christ. Living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then, of course, in our text for today, Ephesians 4, the last part of the passage you've been looking at, verse 12, says the purpose of those spiritual gifts and passions, the purpose of all of that is to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So the Bible talks a lot about the building of the church, the building of the body of Christ. Again, it is a mixed metaphor. We're talking about building here, but we're not building a physical structure. In the Bible, the building of the church is not the building of these walls and this auditorium and other parts of this building. It's the building of the people of God who make up the church. And so this mixed metaphor, building the body, illustrates for us three foundational truths about how the body is built or how the church is built. The first of those truths is this. There is one house and one general contractor. One house and one general contractor, okay? There's one house or body or church. Remember again, the mixed metaphor, we're building, but we're not building a structure. We're building a body, which is the church. There's one church, one body, one house. You say, wait a second, there are lots of churches, aren't there? I probably passed a half dozen. I'm on the way to, to Bible Center this morning. I want, to, want you to recall what Pastor John said in one of his messages in this series about the way that the New Testament uses the word church. Two different ways the New Testament uses the word church. One is what he called the big C church. Remember that? The big C church. That's the universal church. Everyone who knows Jesus as Savior all across the world and all back through church history. That's the universal body, the universal church, church with a big C. And then there's the local church, little c. Churches like this that are in a particular location are the visible expression, the practical expression of the body of Christ, the big C. Now, this is what's important to understand about how those two work together in our subject with spiritual gifts and passions. It's important to see that Everything you do as you serve in the local church helps to build the body of Christ, the big C church. Everything you do in serving in this local church also contributes to the building of the universal church, the body of Christ. Back in the 1980s, Jeannie and I served a church in a small town in northern Indiana. South Whitley, Indiana, about 25 miles west of Fort Wayne. 
And in that little town, we had a little factory, small factory, little F factory. It was, uh, it was called Gripco. Didn't even take a full city block. And all they did was they made nuts. In fact, the workers affectionately referred to it as the nut house. It made nuts that would fit different size bolts that would then be used in building cars. Okay, so what would happen in South Whitley, all they did with their lathes and drills and so forth is they built different size nuts. And they would box them up and send them to the big factory, maybe in Dearborn, Michigan, a Ford factory. And there would be boxes coming from all kinds of little local factories in small towns that would be contributing to the big factory. And all of those parts, even those little nuts that were made in South Whitley, were important in building the big project, the car. Everything that was done in South Whitley and so many other little factories were important in the big factory being able to produce what it was designed to produce. That's the way the church works. The local church, everything you do in serving here feeds into the big C, church, the body of Christ, and that's how the body of Christ is built up. But there's one house, one body, one church. There is also one general contractor. Now, you know how it works when you're building a house. You usually have a builder, depending on the size of the house, maybe a general contractor. Whenever we would do a building project at Johnson Chapel, I'm sure whenever you've done one here, you'd have a major company that was able to do building on that scale. And there would be a project uh, manager or a project foreman. I'm going to call him a general contractor. And he would bring his set of workers with him, basically carpenters and so forth that would do that. And then he was responsible for everything that was done to make sure the building conformed to all the codes, all the drawings that the architect had produced. He would be responsible for, for scheduling all of the uh, subcontractors and making sure they were ready to go. And hopefully everything was staying on time and on budget and so forth. That's a general contractor. He's responsible for everything that happens. Now, I want us to move to 1 Corinthians 12. You might want to open your Bible to 1 Corinthians 12 because Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 really digs deep into another picture of the body of Christ, and that is the human body. And he talks about how the human body is designed to work together, and this building project of the body of Christ is also beautifully represented in the body of Christ. If you're in 1 Corinthians 12, 1, verse 1 of chapter 12 says this, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. So Paul is introducing a new topic in his letter to the Corinthians. It will actually go through chapter 14. But this new topic, he says, is about the gifts of the Spirit. It's about spiritual gifts, which you all have been studying here recently. I'm not going to say any more about spiritual gifts except this. Please go back to the handout that you have. I believe it's also online with the message notes today and has been for a few weeks. The Pastor Mike passed out to you some weeks ago the listing of spiritual gifts, the kinds of spiritual gifts that are described for you and so forth. Please just go back to that to understand better what spiritual gifts are. And let me put in a plug 
for the spiritual gifts class, one of your core classes. The next time that pops up, I know you just had one on February 11th, but the next time it pops up, if you've never taken that class, you need to take the spiritual gifts class. That will help you understand this whole concept and understand what God has gifted you to do and how you are to plug in to the body. So spiritual gifts. I want to bump down to verse 4, verses 4 through 7, where the emphasis is that all of these gifts are from God and they are under his authority. In other words, he's the general contractor. God is the general contractor who's responsible for all of the gifts and passions and abilities and so forth in the church. I want you to see how Paul says this. Look at verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. All right, there are different spiritual gifts. Some of you have the gift of teaching. Some of you have the gift of leading. Some of you have the gift of, of mercy. Some of you have lots of different gifts. You can go right on down the list that you have from uh, your list that you, were got, you got a few weeks ago. Lots of different spiritual gifts, but the emphasis here is it's the same Holy Spirit that distributes those. They all came from one source, and that's the Holy Spirit. Now, I like what he says next in verse 5. There are different kinds of service, literally different ministries. And what he's saying there, different kinds of service, but the same Lord. So there are different kinds of service or ministries that those gifts may find their expression in. For instance, the spiritual gift of teaching some people use in music. There are some people who do an amazing job of communicating deep theological truth through their music. One of the best that I remember is Michael Card. If you remember contemporary Christian music from the 80s and 90s in particular, he was such, he had a, he had a PhD in biblical studies and he really dug deep into his series on the gospels and he did one on 1 Peter, did one on, did an album on Hebrews and so forth. He would dig deep and communicate deep spiritual truth through his music. Other people use the gift of teaching in their preaching ministry. Others may use the gift of teaching in one-on-one -on -one discipleship. Lots of different ministries, but it's the same Lord who's giving all of those opportunities. And then notice what Paul says next. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Different kinds of working that can be translated effects or results. This is important to see. Not everybody with the same spiritual gift, everybody who has the same spiritual gift, is going to have the same results in using that gift. For instance, someone with the gift of evangelism might be a Billy Graham, who is called to express that heart and passion for souls in a public type of setting where thousands of people may come to Christ. Somebody else may use the gift of evangelism in one-on-one -on -one conversation across the backyard fence with their neighbor. They just have a, an amazing way of turning conversations to spiritual themes. That's the gift of evangelism. They may win a handful of people to Christ. Are they any less important in the body? No. It's the same God who is at work in both of them. The emphasis here is no matter what your gift is, no matter what kind of ministry it finds its expression, no matter what kind of results you have, 
It is God who is at work in all of those things, and that's going to affect everything else Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. So it's important to see that, that God is at work no matter what your gift is, no matter what your ministry is, no matter what the results are, it is the same God who is at work. And in verse 7, to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. In other words, this is how the body of Christ is built up. And using those gifts through various ministries with varying results, but in all of those things, God is at work building his body. Now, let's, let's please understand that it is important that whatever you do in this body, this local body, this local church, contributes to the building of the universal body. No matter how big it is in your sight, no matter how small it may seem or insignificant it may seem, no matter what ministry it may be, no matter what kind of results you have or don't have, God is using you. If you are faithful in using your gift in ministry, God is using you to build his body. But there's one house, one body. The second foundational truth about how the body is built is this. There are many workers. There's one body, one house, but there are many workers. Certainly that's true in the building of a house. It's also true in the building of the church, the body of Christ. And Paul really develops that in 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to just basically uh, outline this. We don't have time to dive very deep. So I'm just going to give you a skeleton to put the meat on, okay? And you can put the meat on as you study this passage a little more fully. But beginning in verse 12, Paul gives us several principles of the many workers concept in the body. The first one is this, we are all in one body. He's going to remind us that's where it starts. We are all in one body. Look at verse 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. So it's clear he's using the physical body as an example of what? The body of Christ, the church, the universal church in particular. Verse 13, he introduces that concept of the body of Christ. He says this, for we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. So he talks about the formation of the body. We're baptized into the body by the spirit of Christ at the moment of salvation. The composition of the body, lots of different kinds of people, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, lots of different kinds of people from different backgrounds. And the power of the body, we all have the same opportunity to draw from the Holy Spirit his power to do what he's called us to do. So one body, we're all in one body. And then the second principle he gives us about there being many workers is in verses 14 to 20, and that is this, the body needs you. One body, but the body needs you, every one of you. In verse 14, he says the body's made of many parts. Even so, the body is not made of one part, but of many. So there are lots of us, lots of you here this morning, many parts of the body. And then he says, each part is needed for the body to function properly. Look at verse 15. 
Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. Now think about that. He goes on to say, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? What seems most important to you, the ear or the eye? Well, probably most of us would say, I'd rather lose my hearing than to lose my sight. We think of the eyes maybe as more important, but both are needed. What seems more important to you, the foot or the hand? Now, as the foot and the hand are maybe conversing with each other, as Paul has them doing in this passage, maybe the foot's saying, look at me, I'm just down here scuffing along the dirty floor and the dirty ground, and look at that. Look at the hand, all they get to do way up there. But both are needed. The body needs each part. So there should be no self-deprecation, no envy. The, The foot should not be saying, boy, I wish I were a hand. The ear should not be saying, oh, I wish I were the eye. There should be no envy, no self-deprecation, no saying, well, just look at me. I'm just a lowly foot way down here just scuffing in the dirt. I don't get to do anything cool like the hand does. Should be none of that. No pouting because God has a place for each of us. Each part is needed in the body to function properly. You know, it's interesting to me that Paul never uses an athletic figure for the church. Now, he uses a lot of athletic figures of speech in his epistles. He talks a lot about running the race and boxing and so forth, but they have to do with either our own personal spiritual growth or uh, the ministry that we may have. But an athletic figure is not a good figure to use for the church because in athletics, you have a few competitors and a lot of spectators. Now, that's how some churches work, but that's not how God has designed the church to work. Somebody has defined football as 22 men in desperate need of rest being watched by 60,000 people in desperately need of exercise. I think that's probably a pretty good description. And that's the way some churches operate. There are a few people doing all the work and they're really putting themselves out there. And then a lot of folks just spectating, just watching. It's not how God intended the body to work. Each part is needed for the body to function properly. And then Paul says in verses 18 to 20, God has a purpose for each part. Look at verse 18. But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. So God has a purpose for every part in the body. There should not be any self-sufficiency. God has a place for you. There should not be any, any envy, greed, pouting, any of that. God has a place for you. Mark was a young man walking home from school one day. He was in his freshman year of high school. And as he was walking along, he saw another young man in front of him who just 
arms were loaded with a bunch of stuff and he tripped and fell, dropped all of his stuff. So Mark caught up with him real quick and helped him pick up his stuff and he was introduced to Bill. Bill was so thankful, although it was quite a, an unusual conglomeration of stuff to be carrying home from school. There was a baseball bat and a glove, a few sweaters, a small tape recorder, and a bunch of books. And so uh, Bill said he was very thankful for what Mark had done to help him. And as they got to, uh, to Bill's house, he was telling Mark, you know, I'm really struggling at school and my girlfriend just broke up with me. And I really, I really appreciate your compassion in helping me pick up all this stuff. He invited him in. They had a Coke together. They talked, they laughed, they played video games. And then Mark went his separate way. They didn't really form a close friendship, but they did maintain contact through high school. And a couple of weeks before graduation, Bill came up to Mark and he said, Mark, do you remember that day when I dropped all that stuff and you helped me pick it up and you came into my house and we enjoyed some time together? And Mark said, of course, of course I remember that. And Bill said, do you know why I was carrying all that stuff? And before he, Mark had a chance to ask, he explained, because of how much I was struggling with life, I'd cleaned out my locker and I'd planned to go home and take my life. I'd stored up a bunch of sleeping pills and I was going to take my life but you filled me because of your act of kindness, you filled me with hope. Friend, you may not understand how God is using you. You may think your part is so small, you are insignificant, but you are needed in the body. And it may not be until you stand before Christ that you understand the ways God used you to impact so many other people's lives. And so the body needs you. But the third thing Paul says about there being many workers is also that you need others in the body. Look at verse 21, where he says, all the parts are important. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the hand cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. Now, don't get all confused with all the parts here. Uh, you know, the honorable parts, the less honorable, the more presentable, the less presentable. The whole point of the, the, the passage is no matter what part of the body you are, whether it seems to be one that is more important, more visible, or one that we cover because we're more modest about that, or maybe a less honorable, doesn't matter what part of the body, all the parts are important. I don't know why this happened, but a few years ago, the general surgeons in Princeton Community Hospital were doing something which seemed to me kind of strange. I would go in to visit somebody and let's say they have their gallbladder removed. Uh, the gallbladder had been put in a, a glass container with some kind of fluid and it was given to the patient and, and usually they'd have them sitting up on their little, you know, uh, stand beside their bed for everybody to see like a trophy. And I, I think I probably saw half the gallbladders in Mercer County. Uh, and I'll tell you something, I have never seen a pretty gallbladder, never. But that thing's important. 
And if they, if they yank it out, it, they got to compensate for it somehow. Every part is needed. The body needs you, and you need others in the body. You're familiar with Aesop, Aesop's fables. He was a storyteller about 600 years before Christ in ancient Greece, and a lot of his stories had moral lessons to them, and they've come down through the centuries. Here's one of them, very short one. One day, Aesop said, it occurred to the members of the body that they were doing all of the work and the stomach was getting all the food. So they held a meeting and decided to strike unless the stomach would do its part of the work and share properly in the work. So for a day or two, the hands refused to take any food. The mouth did not receive any food. The teeth did not chew any food. But after a couple of days, members began to find themselves not in very good condition. The hands could hardly move, the mouth was all parched and dry, while the legs were unable to support the body. Thus they found, Aesop says, that even the stomach in its dull, quiet way was doing necessary work for the body and that all must work together or the body would be weak. There are many workers in the body, one body, but you are needed as a worker in that body. And you need others in the body to work together to build the body. So there are many workers. The third foundational truth that Paul gives us about the building of the body is this. The building is done brick by brick. All right, there's one body, one house, one general contractor, many workers that work together using their spiritual gifts and passions and various ministries, but the building is done brick by brick. That building that uh, Bob Spradling and George Darlington recommended that we build uh, we had decided to build an education wing. We had a, an auditorium, a fellowship hall, gymnasium behind that. We had from that a wing that went out that was offices, nurseries, uh, some education space on two levels. And we were going to build another education space directly out from the end of that building. And the architect said, you know, to get from the far end of that one building all the way up here, out there, and to the auditorium is half a mile. So you, what you need to do is build that new wing in an arc. And, and connect this wing with this wing and form a circular flow of traffic. And we thought, that's brilliant. That's why you hire an architect. And so that's what we did. I remember one day going out and watching the brick mason. And, you know, I just wanted to see. I, I, I know enough about bricks to know that they have a flat edge. And I was trying to figure out, how do you take bricks, all of which have a flat edge, and build a round semicircular wall? How do you do that? And so I asked him, I said, how do you do that? And he looked at me and said, with one eye closed. <laughs> well, that's not how he did it. There was a lot of engineering that went behind it. There were a lot of thoughts about, uh, you know, he had strings set up and a lot of thoughts about how each brick needed. He knew exactly the angle which each brick needed to be placed in order for the wall to be exactly what it should be. Amazing. Brick by brick. Buildings are built this way. 
If you've ever watched HGTV Dream Home or one of those programs, you know, where they build this amazing home and they have a contest and somebody wins it. And usually on the TV program where they're showing the home, they'll do a time lapse and they'll show the whole house being built in about 30 seconds. And it's done. Don't you wish you could build a house like that? That's not the way they're built though, is it? They're built one brick at a time, one stud at a time, one wire at a time, one pipe at a time, and the body of Christ is built this way too. Friend, please get this this morning. Every gift and ability matters. Every effort matters. Every investment whether it's a few dollars or a few thousand dollars, every investment matters. God wants to use you with whatever giftedness he's given you, in whatever ministry he's put on your heart, with whatever results that may bring, God wants to use you as a part of this building project. The famed composer Ludwig von Beethoven once heard that a friend of his had lost his son in death, and so he went over to his friend's home. And by this time, Beethoven was well advanced in his hearing loss, was almost deaf. And so conversation was extremely difficult and humiliating for him. And so he simply walked into his friend's home, gave his friend a hug, and then walked over to his fellow composer friend's piano and sat down and started pouring out his emotions and grief on the keys of that piano. And for a half hour, He expressed his comfort by playing the piano. When he got done, he got up, went over, hugged his friend, and walked out the door without ever saying a word. And his friend would later say, that was the most comforting time of any visit I had during that time. Now, some of you would do that. Some of you would express comfort through some artistic means. Some of you would express comfort through just being there or comforting words that you would use. Some of you would express your comfort by serving. You know, you'd be the ones bringing food, cleaning the house for that family, mowing their lawn, keeping up with things for them. Or some of you may express your, your passion and your gift in helping that family by organizing everything. You'd be the one that organized the meal list to make sure proper meals were being brought in. And when it came in, the things that needed to be frozen were put in the freezer, things that needed to be in the refrigerator, in the refrigerator, things that were fresh need to be served now. You'd plan all the meals. You'd keep a list of what all came in so that the thank yous would be easier. You see, all of those are needed and welcome in helping that family. The same thing is true of the church. Whatever God has gifted you to do, whatever you are passionate about, whatever ministry you're involved in, God wants you to be involved. So what's the take home from all of this? If each of us has some gift and ability to contribute, and we do, and if every member of the body is needed for the body to grow and function as God intends, and it is. Then I have two two questions for you. Question number one, how are you contributing to the building of the body? Now, don't think about your husband, your wife, your children, your parents, or any of your neighbors. You, how are you contributing 
to the body. Some of you need to be like a major organ providing special ministry to the body. Some of you need to be like the joints and ligaments, tying everything together with careful organization. Some of you need to be like the flow of blood, bringing life-giving oxygen of encouragement to fellow believers or other ministries. Some of you need to be like the nervous system. I'll be careful with that one. But some of you need to be like the nervous system, exhorting others to spring into action through your words and your example. Some of you need to be like the muscles, giving strength through a servant spirit and just getting the hard work done. And some of you need to be like the skin, providing a covering for the body of protection through prayer. Whatever it is, you're needed. You need to be involved. How are you contributing? And then my second question is this, what is your next step? What's your next step? Is it to discover your gifts? Then use the information passed out to you or that's online. Take the spiritual gifts class. Do whatever you need to find out how God's gifted you to serve him. Is your next step to identify your heart passion? Just think and pray and examine your own life. What are, what are you really passionate about? What is it you really want to do? That's a deep desire in your heart because God all usually fits those with your gift to use you. Or maybe having determined some of those things is the next step for you just to get involved. In fact, if you've never been able to figure out your gift, Find something to do and do it. Just get involved. Maybe an area of desire or an area of need in this church. I guarantee you, if you get involved, your spiritual gifts will surface. Other people will recognize them. Others will say, you know what? You're really good at this. Have you ever thought maybe that's how God's gifted you? Whatever it is, my friend, discover your spiritual gift. Identify your passion and get involved. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for the beautiful pictures that are given to us in your Word about how the body is built. And I pray, Father, that every one of us will be serious, examining our own hearts and lives so that we know how you want to use us and that we'll not sit on the sidelines and watch others do the ministry, but that we'll jump onto the playing field and allow you to use us for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com and give us a follow on all platforms at Bible Center.